Hey, I'm Danny Levy, and you're listening to Digital Transformation and Leadership, the show where we go behind the scenes with today's top business leaders to understand how they're digitally transforming their company. My guest today is Ben Flintoff, the General Manager at Baskin Robbins Australia. Ben, welcome to Digital Transformation and Leadership. Danny, thank you for having me. So Ben, what did you have for breakfast this morning? Same as usual, Danny. Green smoothie and two fried eggs, same as I cook my daughters every morning. Sounds fantastic. You'll have to make me one of these smoothies. What, what goes into them? Chia, banana, spinach, ice, protein, and a whole lot of love. Blend it <laughs> until it's smooth, mate. So, Ben, could you quickly <laughs> share a little bit more about your background and, and what it is you're doing? So, Danny, I'm, I'm the general manager for Baskin Robbins Australia. Uh, we're an ice cream chain. And... Um, as you could completely expect from someone who manages an ice cream business, I have an IT degree and spent the first 10 years out of university in banking and finance. <laughs> and that's, uh, so it was an easy segue then, an easy decision to go straight into that. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> so what it made complete sense. It <laughs> yeah. made complete sense. Look, life's a, life's a journey, right? Yeah. And uh, if you try to control every single pillar, you, you miss opening some doors that are, are absolutely amazing. And uh, I, I did not know that I was going to manage an ice cream business in Australia, but I've certainly enjoyed, enjoyed that journey. And I guess the, often the, the, the most interesting people have had these kind of squiggly careers, right? They've moved around, they've tried different things, they've got varied backgrounds. I mean, what, what, what got you to where you are now? Did you, did you have experience in other industries and, and how has that helped you? Well, a, a, a journey from university in, in banking through you know, small business lending through personal banking uh, to owning my own business in, mm-hmm. as a, in a cafe in a, in a city uh, I did a, a season in Canada in the, in the ski fields um, I've worked in private banking in London um, mm-hmm. I've you know it you're right it's 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 my journey is it the right one or something that other people would look at and, and aspire to I, I don't know but that's that's not the point. I've, I've certainly looked back and think, "Wow, it's been a it's been a fun ride," and, and it put all of those pieces pulled together to put me here now. And and running your own business, I know a lot of people always like the idea of setting up for themselves, being an entrepreneur. Did you did you take any kind of key lessons away from that experience, and, and, and were you able to use that and bring that into your current role with uh, Baskin Robbins? Yeah, look, hard work works. And, and I think that was the thing more than anything that I took away, that it, you could have a business that appeared frail or was in a difficult industry. You know, I bought um, a cafe in the city uh, right before the GFC. And um, people sort of, when I start off with that comment, people are like, oh, wow, you know, I feel sorry for you. I'm like, no, no, wait. It's, it's okay because what happened was the business types weren't buying $50 steaks, but they were happy to buy a, t- a $10 sandwich. And in my business, I was only charging $8.90 for a sandwich, so I put my prices up. <laughs> so we, in the GFC, we are making more money um, delivering on a need. And yeah. you just you need to be open and ready and, and understand you know where the need state is and and be prepared to react and that was the the huge learning small business owners in Australia and around the world absolutely drive the 
economies. And I'm, I'm so proud of the efforts of every single person who's getting up every day and, and participating in something that they truly believe in. Yeah, almost making the world a better place, right? I mean, that disruptive force and, and being able to set up your own business and, and almost change your own your own direction and your own fate, right, can really be in your hands. It's so mm. powerful. Mm. And it can go the opposite way as well, yes. too, because if you you can let it slip away and we, you know, we see that just as commonly. Unfortunately, that's the time when it makes the papers. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so Ben, the topic we're going to get into today is all around transparency and specifically the questions that kind of transparency raises. Uh, I know this is something that you're, that you're really passionate about. We've, we've spoken offline about this before and we've got into it. Um, so I just wanted you, wanted you to kick off with that, that first point around transparency and, and, and share some of, your, some of your wisdom here with the listeners. I think um, wisdom is, my father told me you could pluck a feather from every passing goose, so let the listeners decide if it's wisdom or not. But I think transparency is this unattainable goal. And what I mean by that is your team, your clients, your guests, your suppliers, they'll always tell you that they crave open and honest communication, which is the pillar of transparency. But yeah. in my learning, this, this request from these um, channels is right up to the point when you tell them something that they don't want to hear. Mm-hmm. And more importantly, you haven't given them the tools to process the information that you've just given them. And that's when the art of transparency for a leader falls or, or can fail um, because you need to be part of that journey of being, you can't just sit there and, hey, you told me to be open, so here's, here's a reality check. Mm. You know, it's, it doesn't work like that. Is there any, any recommendation you can make specifically on how you can avoid that pitfall? So, you know, when you give someone some information, and I often think sometimes we deliver information as leaders that we can think is, is good news you know, for people or for the wider team. And actually that can cause a lot of anxiety maybe in the team because it could be something like a new deal that's coming, but actually on the delivery side, they get quite anxious uh, about some of the things that were put forward, for example. Uh, Any recommendations you can make there, Ben, on on how you can stop people um, worrying overly or or making sure that you guide them through the process? Yeah, I think that as a leader, um, you generally have all of the information. Mm. And you know the moving parts and how the cogs all spin together. And, you know, it's your choice on sharing whatever parts of it that you want or, in fact, if you share the whole engine. Mm. Um, But choosing what to share and then the environment um, in which you share it is the perpetual task of of the transparent leader, if you like. And I can tell you, honestly, even just recently, I've had two situations. One where the, the bad news well, the negative news that I was sharing was met with almost, you know, rapturous applause in the room. Mm. And and conversely, I just this week uh, was sharing good news, which absolutely fell flat to a you know a stony cold silence mm. uh, in in the meeting. And I, it was you know it was deflating for me. But on reflection, I absolutely didn't choose the environment and choose the type of information that I should have been giving to the team. And it's, it's not okay to sit in, uh, in the GM or CEO or managing director office and have all the information, but then only give parts of it in the wrong way. Mm. If you're going to give parts to it, you have to give the meat. Yeah. So it's not, it's just, it's not giving that surface level information and then 
presuming that your team or your people will will be able to digest that it's it's giving the information and then going into the actual meat on the bone the detail and then making yeah. sure that you've asked any answered any questions and talked people through any concerns correct and, and then and providing an environment for them to ask questions a safe environment mm. whether it's in front of a group or saying i'm open for one-on-ones um you know i think the the challenge that we face is it's not what the information you give is important it's how it's received mm. and it's it's actually your response to information is that's what's in your control and to help your team in with the, the maturity of of receiving information um and I'm, I'm using this cloaked sort of you know discussion because mm. i'm sure the leaders um listening to the podcast of you know the our businesses have been through this difficult period, right? Yeah. So there's there's been you know mass redundancies or sales revenue targets going through the floor or, or, or all sorts of um, challenges which you face on a day to day and sort of trying to work out which information to share and which information to keep close to your chest and say, you know what, that's actually my job to, to handle and I'll let you know once it's done. Well, um, was there, I just want to get into this example you gave. So you gave some some bad news and it was met with rapturous applause and you mm. gave the good news and, and there was stony silence. Um, I think that's a really interesting example. Was, was there anything that you did differently or... Is there anything if you if you could kind of go back and, and do it again, what, what you would change well, I think, with the good news? Yeah, well, no, absolutely. And I'll give you the story of the bad news, which leads <laughs> yeah. straight okay. into the good news. The bad news, I'd been I'd been preparing. I've been saying this is this is coming, this is happening, this mm. is a, a delay, this is an obstacle, this is a challenge. And when we were able to find that final way through and the and the delivery date was actually a couple of days earlier than we had projected it was sort of like wow you know we've saved 48 hours of concern on this and the team the the relief was was palpable um and on the flip side we'd been building to something on this on this good news item across you know a period and i probably hadn't fed the team correctly with the information so that when this amazing result happened they could digest it and go wow that's amazing it, it was they didn't there was no there was no uh medium to compare it to mm. so it just sounded like more stuff that we were being told and you know for me in my role and i'm looking and monitoring and, and trying to be involved in the day-to-day -day and, and noticing something that's just building in momentum and being incredible and when I shared it to the team, they didn't have that background. And yeah. Yeah, it, it, I walked away going, oh, I really messed that up. <laughs> it's a horrible feeling. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a horrible feeling. So actually what you, what you would have changed, Ben, um, is you would have actually kind of what looped the team into actually the steps along the way and why there was so much actually riding on that outcome. And then the response would have been completely different. Is that right? That you were, you were kind of almost being your own island, which I think a lot of leaders do, right? Kind of struggle with things in their own mind. And then all of a sudden they achieve something and they share it and the team don't really understand what's been achieved. Yeah. No one knows. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so you're sitting inside, you're dealing with something, you're trying to protect your team or, or, or a situation, and then you get through it and no one knows what you've done. 
And that's mm. the terrible result, especially as a leader, because those moments don't actually come too often and we need to harness them. If you're not celebrating the small milestones, the big mm. milestone doesn't mean anything. Yeah. And is that is that bringing in your kind of senior team leads or is that just making sure the whole wider team are updated by you? Mm, well, we're a, we're a small team. Like, yeah. Baskin-Roms is a big brand, but I, I tell everyone I run a small business. You know, we have 15 staff and um, there's there's no excuse for me to not to have all of my team across the information in some way of course i have a senior leadership mm. but the the broader team absolutely should have access to the type of um item i was i was wanting to celebrate so ben could you share could you go into the next point i, I like this one that we're going to talk about it's it's about not letting people down in your team but again i guess we've touched on it a bit here but making sure that they have their heads up because you've got to be honest and transparent with them at the same time. And there's always a horrible feeling, right, where your team depend on you. You're almost that rock kind of when things are bad, you're kind of steering them through stormy waters and you never want to let anybody down. You want to make sure that you get everyone to the other side of the of the ocean and, and get them to safety on the shore. But how do you do it? How do you balance that? I, I think understanding the different types of leadership and you can't, pigeonhole yourself like i would have loved to have told everyone i was a collaborative leader who listened to everyone's opinion on everything and made an informed opinion and decision uh, but during this time uh, the last six months it's pretty much been we're making things up as we go along mm-hmm. let's let's be fair yeah. and um you know we tore up our marketing campaign and, and went again you know, we had to revisit the execution of different channels because one was was not going to work and the other one needed all the support it could have. And so you move resources around. And, and sometimes I, I think the biggest job for the GM and the CEO roles are you, you allocate resources. And sometimes that actually means that you let people down. And, but you need to let them know why. And so yeah. if someone's got a baby project, which just makes no sense in a global pandemic, you, you just need to tell them why. Mm-hmm. And um, acknowledgement, I think, is much more important than some sort of approval. And what do you do? I mean, if obviously a project is one thing and, you know, making sure that they, they feel let down gently and they've been really bought into the decision. I guess some companies, you know, ours included, had that really tough decision where we've had to unfortunately let a couple of people go. Um, I guess that's the worst thing you can do as a leader. What do you do with those people? Have you you dealt with that in your career? And and at the same time, how do you, you know, make sure that the wider team that are staying on aren't too um, brought down or don't feel negative about that? Mm, it's an incredibly difficult circumstance, and I've, I have dealt with it uh, several occasions. Um, the first time, it was literally eight weeks into my role as, as after becoming the GM. You know, I was moving on the senior leader, and in incredibly difficult circumstances. You know, a high performer, but with a you know a, a different agenda, and you, you have to find solace somewhere, and it's never. It's never personal. And uh, if it's about the business first, then you're probably right. I mean, I'm, I'm paid a salary and, and um, by a shareholder who expects the result, you know, and that's ultimately what, what this role is. 
And uh, if I was a business owner, it would definitely be a completely different thing. And, I'm, and again, I, I remember being a business owner and having to let go probably my best employee, but the, the reason was right. And, and um, it's an incredible journey to be, to be a part of emotionally, especially if you're invested in the way I feel that I am. Mm. And, um, and certainly uh, from a, from a, a leadership point of view, because after you've gone through that event, you then have all of these eyes looking back to you saying, well, is it my time or what's the justification or, or you know, it, it opens up questions that you probably don't know are being asked and, and you can only sit down in a group environment for so long and say it's going to be okay um, before your actions are judged again. And um, yeah, it's a, I don't, Human resources for a leader is is definitely the biggest challenge of any um, uh, of any role. It's also, I think, the most rewarding. Yeah. So you know, it's high risk, high return, um, because I've got some amazing team members who I will support forever, mm. and and they deserve it, right? Yeah. Trust is earned. It's like toothpaste; it's mm. easy to take out. It's hard to put back. Yeah. Um, I guess it's also as well when you've got those kind of people in the team, they, all, they often just 10x their salary, right? I mean, it's, it's the actual, what they're bringing to the business. And you just look at it, if you take a step back sometimes, because I think sometimes we're a little bit bad at that and we're looking at spreadsheets. But if you take a step back and you actually think about their wider value to the business, um, yeah, they can become quite invaluable. And you as a leader think, well, could I really do this without them almost? And you can't. You can't, you know, on a football field, the best player gets all of the credit and, you know, people look to the leaders when something goes right, but mm. they, they know that someone still has to pass the ball or receive it or block it or, you know, mm. it's, a, it's still a team, it's still a team game. Mm. You can't do what you do if someone else isn't doing what they do and probably doing it well. Yeah, I love that. So the main thing I got there really was never make it personal. You've always got to, you've always got to, you know, put out all the facts, lay out all the facts, and then just make sure that the wider team really understand why that decision was made. But don't put too much pressure on yourself because you can't be expected to sit in a, a group discussion once you've delivered the news and you've been clear and you've answered any questions. And you can always do some follow up in the, in the one to ones to make sure all the issues have been addressed. You're right, and an open open door, you know, is a cliche. But you you need to recognise that it's a it's a vulnerable time for everyone. If yeah. you've if you've let one person go, everyone else who's staying is wondering, mm. and it, you need to make some sort of action towards that. And yeah. um, I feel like that's something that we've we've done to mm. create some confidence. Um, it, but it's a journey that doesn't you don't just get to oh I've dealt with that and it's finished. It's like not how a leader's role works. I guess that takes us nicely into the next point because it's around future-proofing your business mm. and you know, kind of creating a culture that tests and tries and embraces innovative ideas. And I know Baskin Robbins was already trying these things and was really pushing the envelope before the health pandemic. And I was just really interested to get your thoughts on this, maybe some examples of what you've done and, and, and around this kind of constant innovation, constant improvement and, and not standing still. When you when you truly future proof your business, what you've 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 done is is probably executed above and beyond your competitors. Mm. I think world class execution creates desire uh, above anything else. Yeah, um, 
no one knew they needed the iPad, uh, an iPod until it was invented, right? And mm. in my in my realm, delivering ice cream on demand to homes and offices, that was completely crazy until <laughs> until we cracked the reason why we were doing it. And yeah. it was it was a neat state. Convenience was king. It wasn't my idea. We responded to to an internal um, thought uh, from our franchise partner network. But it, it's one, everyone can come up with a great idea, but generally it's actually putting the work behind how you'll execute it and making sure it, it's a sustainable initiative. That's where the separation from your competitors or would-be competitors will come from. But I guess you can't even look at your competitors, right, when you're trying these things. It's more around maybe listening and understanding customers. Correct. And yeah. I, and I, I think um, the, the best companies across the journey have not really worried too much about what their competitors were doing. Mm. And um, you know, we certainly uh, notice what's happening. We want to remain relevant. You know, you would be crazy if you woke up in five years' time and found out that five out of the six ice cream brands in Australia were doing X and you were doing Y. Yeah. Um, and going backwards. If you were doing Y and gapping them, then keep doing it, do Z as well. Mm-hmm. But, but you know, you have to at least be aware of what's happening and then make a decision on it. You say, that's great that that's happening, we're not doing it. And yeah. that's, that's, that's the right decision. Yeah. You know, you don't, oh, they've launched this, so we need to launch it as well. That's not right. Mm-hmm. And you know, a couple of years ago, we launched this amazing um, campaign which uh, was copied. It was blatantly copied by our competitors, and we were like, "Wow, we've made it!" You know, when you when you have a campaign that is so vital that your competitors are copying it, you've 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 cracked it. Well done. Yeah. Go and do it. Rinse and repeat. <laughs> <laughs> what What do you think about that when a competitor copies something you're doing? Does it come across well? I think they'll only ever be a me too, mm. and that it'll only ever be. A, a copy but those who know you know there's not too many times where something has you know been done and then been done better by the person who came along next mm. um, I don't know if that's an, the old person inside me that's sort of a callback to vintage and you know it was better in my youth and that kind of things uh, however I, I think that if you're second then you're, you're probably the first of the losers as they say yeah. So, copy away. Second, you last. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Ben, I'm just interested. While we're on this point, I mean, the ice cream delivery for Baskin Robbins. Where did that come from? Was it from listening to customers, or how how did you get that idea and decide to to move forward with it? We actually listened to our franchise partner network. Okay. Um, we actually it was it was almost that rogue franchise partner who's already doing delivery and sort of you get in your car and you drive to the store and wonder what you're going to find <laughs> and you know you meet them and they talk about the need and how there's these you know apps that are growing and you know growing in these this is 2016 yeah um, and you know you sort of look into it and say, oh, i'm not too sure the metrics don't work and um, then it sort of starts to get this snowball effect where suddenly your mum rings you and says hey i ordered uh, you know something on on the internet and got it delivered to my house and you're like hang on a second this isn't <laughs> this isn't a small subset 
if someone's convinced your mother to place an order for food to be delivered on demand, then this is this needs some real real research. Yeah. And so are you doing are you doing it through an app or are they ordering online? How does it how does it work? Maybe you can share with the listeners. Yeah, so we we've partnered with third party delivery aggregators. So in Australia they're Uber Eats and Deliveroo and um, DoorDash, menu line. Yeah. They're the, they're the main players. I know that you've got Grabs, um, mm. Grab Food, I think, and you know, you've got some uh, different uh, players in Singapore and around the world, but everyone's familiar with the concept of a, of a third-party delivery aggregator. Mm. And um, we made the early decision that we couldn't uh, justify a driver network of our own, the, the cost of getting a car. on. So we did the work. We yeah. tried to work out if putting a car and a team member and a tank full of petrol on a Friday and Saturday night worked and um, the, the the metrics just flowed into this third-party aggregator profile. They, they are partners. They get a lot of heat around the world for what they're delivering, but they are true partners. Yeah. And, um, you know, we've, we've been able to reach more than the passing foot traffic at our store or the people that you know, drive to our store. When I started at Baskin Robbins, I fervently believed that everyone got in their car and drove to the Baskin Robbins to get their ice cream because peanut butter and chocolate was what they had to have at that point. <laughs> the reality was, is we're far more impulsive in nature. And yeah. suddenly when you move your store theoretically from its fixed location into the cloud, and suddenly you're a seven or eight minute drive um, circumference from any physical Baskin Robbins, you've opened up a whole new world. Yeah, and and how's the in terms of a sales channel now? I mean, obviously through the health pandemic, people couldn't go to the store. But I mean, in, in normal times, what do you see in terms of the the delivery versus the in store? So so when we launched, um, yeah. we were sort of trying to get to, to double figures in twenty eighteen mm. as as a channel as a total yeah. of of total revenue. Uh, by the end of 2019, we were sort of pushing you know, 15, 16, 17% of, of network. And we we're like, wow, that's good. So we set a long-term goal of 31% uh, of our channel. 31 is a number that resonates with Baskin-Robbins, so you see it a lot. Um, but we thought that might be a two- to three-year goal, and it took us about three months. And that was because the digital age was accelerated by about five years. Mm. where suddenly my 80-year-old neighbour is getting the supermarket delivery online yeah. because he has to. Well, that wasn't a choice he made. It was uh, <laughs> Your hand got forced, right? Please stay at home and yeah. um, <laughs> we'll deliver your food. Uh, so the digital you know, innovation was, was accelerated. But it wasn't about us um, you know, suddenly getting lucky. We, we'd been working on this channel for for years, not, not for two weeks or two months where some people said, oh, no, I've got to move to online. You know, my local organic store, he moved 12,000 SKUs online in about two weeks. It was an amazing achievement. But I, mm. knowing knowing what we went through, there's no way in the world. Yeah, it's going to be some serious friction points. <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't possibly bear having to go through that. Knowing yeah. what we did, bringing our, our business online in, in you know, normal times, if, if mm. that's still a word. And, and have you seen specifically in, I guess, in your realm, did you see competitors also trying to do that? Maybe ones that weren't as, as forward-looking, that they were trying to shift everything online very quickly as well? Did that happen? Yeah, correct. Yeah, correct. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, um, you know, our marketing team, obviously, as I mentioned earlier, just keep an eye 
on mm. on what's happening. And uh, you know, we received a newsletter from a competitor saying you can now find us online through. Yeah. You know, and we're like, really? Now yeah. you can? It was that was that was the moment when we realised how far ahead we were at yeah. this point in time. But you can't stand still either, right? So no. it, it, it's only a measure. Um, yeah. At that point in time, we're in front. But you know, if we if we stand still or go backwards, heaven forbid, the catch us really, really quickly. It can happen very fast, right? And just while we're on the point, I mean, I know we're, we're talking a lot around a lot of leadership today, but this this is really interesting for me. Um, so just around the digital transformation, because really you, you transformed the business, right? Was it 2016 you launched the, the ice cream delivery? Yeah, 2016 was first yeah. pushed to us, but we, we, we really weren't ready until our first trial was in April yeah. 2018. 2018 okay i just i just wondered around the kind of the transformation pillars um the digital pillars and and having gone through that change or gone through that journey are there any kind of specific pillars or advice you give to the listeners around how you can take a more traditional business and and move it online and get everyone's buy-in look i was asked recently what my COVID business plan looked like mm. and my response was that it looks like my business plan because I don't have a specific COVID business plan. I have a business plan that is aware of prevailing market conditions. Yeah. And what happened in this pandemic was it left us very exposed. Mm. I think everything happening outside made us look inside. Yeah. What is my business like? Am I guests going to keep knocking on my door or paying my invoices? How long does the cash I have last? Mm. You know, we almost, it felt like we almost became overnight startups. And oh, another that's feeling. A, that's, that's intense. <laughs> that's intense, right? Yeah. You know, it's definitely intense start, when you're doing it at home. <laughs> and you've got staff who rely on you yeah. for an income. They've got families of their own to care for. It's a, it was a call to action. And, um, I think you know we we were very early to say we're not going to be victims here. You've you've got a choice, and a traditional business like ours, a seventy-five year old brand, uh, versus a one-year-old you know dark kitchen startup. You know the everything was it was the playing field was completely flattened, and you know if you were lucky enough to be working on a project that fed into that new need state, well done. But if you weren't, it didn't mean you couldn't play catch up. Mm -hmm. So it just needed to be a, a review of where was the revenue coming from and how do we get more of it? And, and yeah. again, that's, that's business, right? That's not, uh, here's how I acted in COVID-19. Mm -hmm. but, but this will be a question on an exam. You know, in ten, mark my words, in 10 years, in 15 years time, you will be asked, how did you go during COVID-19? Yeah. And, and you need to have an answer. I guess as well, I mean, you know, companies have had to, to pivot on a dime. Is, is that the right American phrase, pivot on a dime? Um, well, we can use it. Yeah. And we've, we've, I think we've probably really overused the word pivot in the last four months. Um, but, but companies have had to change things so quickly and, and you know, for companies like ours that were very people-to-people -people focused, and I guess yourself as well, you know, it's really transformed business models. Uh, are there any recommendations you'd give there for the listeners? I mean, on on just how you, you change things so quickly uh, and make it work? I think anyone can be world-class. Yeah. And once you actually accept 
that that's a possibility, your world just opens up. Mm. Like, if you understand that Microsoft was built from a garage and all of those other stories, it, it's, it's real. Why can't you? Yeah. And, but you have to believe it first. Mm. And if, if you can't get past that, you need to find out how to because mm. anyone can be world-class. But is there, is there a way to almost get into that mindset? Because I guess a lot of the time people like what they're familiar with. You know, if, if you almost look at the way things were being done before the, the health pandemic, it was what, wake up, eat breakfast, commute, do your job, eat lunch maybe in the same place, do your job, commute, come home, watch the same TV program, go to bed. <laughs> and we like that, right? We're creatures of habit, aren't we? I mean, we, we get used to that. I mean, I don't know about you, but uh, I have to walk to work. I would always walk on the same route, for example. I'd, yeah. I'd go to the same carriage on the train. And then all of a sudden, all of that was thrown out the window and it was just reinvent. And, and like you said, you've got to get this world-class mindset, and really think differently and put things in perspective. But is there a, is there a way to do that? I, I think recognising that if you're doing what you've always done, mm. then you're setting yourself on a path. And that path may actually be okay, by the way. Mm. But if you're truly, truly looking for those initiatives and innovations and ideas that break molds, then it can't be get up, brush your teeth, get on the bus, same, same route to work. Something has to change, right? Yeah. And and the beauty is that you're in complete control of that. I think we forget that, though, don't we? Well, write it on your wall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is, it, is it just making a one small change a day and then all of a sudden those incremental differences and changes, they start to mount up? I truly believe in, in progress. Mm. And I think you've heard me talk about um, this journaling system that I use called the, the Progress Journal. Mm. And it's a 90-day it's a tool. But I know that even if I only get 20 good days out of that, yeah. probably 20 amazing, much more amazing days than, than, than if I wasn't using that tool. And if I got one more amazing day, it's still worth the cost of it. Yeah. And it's, first of all, opening up yourself to the fact that you are willing to change and then playing that, um, that long game. If you like that, it, it, you, we instant gratification is amazing. You know, I, I, I want to lose weight, but gee, that bag of cookies looks good. You know, yeah. so it's, it, it doesn't work. No. So what's the second choice you could make? Yeah. And is it a good one? Is yeah. it a better one? I guess it's as well. It's, it's it's making a change, trying to stick to it. But if you do fall off the wagon, or you have a bad day, or a couple of days, or week, don't beat yourself yep. up about it. You can quite Absolutely. quickly change that. Absolutely, and yeah. and and I think you know, as leaders, mm. you know, if you know that the absolute best thing that you should be doing with your time is spending it with your team, mm. then cross cross that time in your calendar. Yeah, you know, you you can tell me what your priorities are, but show me your bank account statement and your in your diary, and I'll tell you what your true priorities really are. Yeah, I had um, um, a guest on uh, who who the uh, Tony who wrote the, uh, the the productivity planner, the journal. Yes, who you put me in yes. touch with, and he had a point which I loved a few weeks ago where he said um, when he when he got busy leaders, busy executives in a room. 
And he said to them, look, if you only had two hours in the day, what would you spend your time on? And they said strategy and training and mentoring their people. Yes. And, and he said to them, okay, so what are you not doing in your days? And the two things that weren't finding time to do were, were strategy, strategy and training and developing their <laughs> people. You're right. <laughs> yeah. You're right. And, and I've got my hand up. I've got yeah. my, uh, my virtual hand up as well. And, yeah. and Tony's a close friend of mine, isn't he? Yeah. So, uh, but, you know, I, I sit there and I listen to him and I, oh, it's that reality check, right? Yeah. We yeah. just get, we get caught in the weeds, don't we? We get stuck in yeah. the weeds. We, we're focusing too much on, on execution and on, on tasks and on maybe covering for our team or falling into the habit of saying, don't worry, I'll do it. You know, you do something else or covering for them. And we're not, we're not spending that time on, on strategy and and especially now right i mean a lot of companies have got this kind of 90 day outlook almost that that yep. 12 month outlook's been thrown out the window and people are only thinking short term so if you're thinking short term and you're not finding time for strategy maybe you're going to get caught off guard in 2021 and the the, the leaders now not only have the 90 day strategy but that they're sharing yeah, yeah. absolutely so, so Ben, thank you so much for, for talking us through all those points and, and going into so much detail and transparency. I've got a ton of value out of that. Um, would you be able to share a couple of leadership lessons with the listeners through your, through your career? Leadership is incredibly rewarding. And I also find it's incredibly lonely. Mm. But, you know, if ultimately the, the buck stops with you, that, that's a daily grind. But if you recognize it, you can deal with it. And my advice is get a mentor. And you've spoken, Tony Wilson is a mentor of mine. And, uh, in fact, um, I would suggest get several mentors. Uh, the great thing that I've learned about leaders in the last 20 years is they probably also are lonely. And yes. um, you know, sharing their knowledge is something they actually want to do. They don't want to retain their lessons and go to the grave knowing all this stuff that they haven't been able to share. They want to be knowledge fountains. So go drink. Yeah. Um, and I think secondly, a clear business plan is that solid foundation. But to the earlier point, if you've got a 90 day plan, but your people don't know about it, then that's on you. Mm. Um, the, the toughest part of the C-suite, the founders, GMs, you know, is managing the, the people, but it's absolutely worth it. It's a privilege, right? You're right. So, it is so, a privilege. Yeah. Ben, I'm just interested around the, the point around mentorship. Um, I think when we're early on in our career, that mentorship often comes from within our own organizations. But then as mm. we as we rise up the ranks, it becomes harder and harder to, to continue having someone that's mentoring us and maybe in the same way or, or we reach a plateau. Do you have any advice here for for the listeners around how you can continue that mentorship through your through your career? Mm, you have to be open to learning, and the the the, the pillar there is if you, you need to remain curious. You know, my my grandfather passed away when he was eighty four, and he was the most curious person I've probably ever met. <laughs> pulling things apart, which he probably wasn't going to be able to put back together. Yeah. And, and but it just, I, I learned that. I was like, that was okay. You know, and I'm not saying, you know, go ahead and break things is, is my mentality either. But um, if you're really, truly willing to understand and learn, you actually attract to mentors to yourself. 
mm-hmm. you know, I I attracted a uh, a um, a golf coach to me because he could see how much I wanted to learn. Mm-hmm. And when I had that experience, I was like, wow, um, that works. And so I, if you're interested in other people, they, they become very interested in you. You know, if you yeah. spend 45 minutes talking to someone and you make 40 minutes of the conversation about them, they'll walk, on, walk away thinking you're such a great guy. And yeah. that's, that's actually how mentors um, uh, have moved throughout my life. I've been incredibly lucky with some amazing people to have been connected with, but they've all had one um, value at the core which, which described all of them and they believe in growth. Growth and that are they gen- they're genuinely interested in other people, I guess. They've got that ability to, to listen and shine the spotlights on you. I've had one person write a whole a whole business plan for me for a couple That's of Amazing. Years. And these people are you do you need to you mentioned sometimes they'll they'll just come to you or they'll, they'll appear in your life. If um if you don't already have that, that mentorship and there is someone that you you'd like to get to know more, is your recommendation just to reach out? and yes. get in touch through things like LinkedIn and just ask for a I'd, bit of help? I'd just just ask. Yeah. Ask ask 10 people, one will say yes. It's my guarantee. Mm. And the reality is you're probably more likely five will say yes. Yeah. Because you're interested in them first. Yeah. And surely there's a selfish reason behind it. But if, uh, if you approach in the right way, and you'll work out what that is, um, you'll, you'll find that being open... Uh, to, to learning is is the biggest gift that you can give someone, especially when you're playing in their field. Yeah. Um, but to your earlier point, a lot of professional mentors do come from within a company. I'm not talking about that. I don't think that you should look to your, you know, if you're a, a manager, to look to the senior management next level up for, for mentorship. I don't think that's where you should be playing. I would be looking outside of your four walls yeah. And the, the reason for that is, is you'll probably find that's where innovation comes from. Like yeah. if you're dealing in food, then I would be, I would go and find a mentor in engineering. Yeah. So like cross industry. Completely, because, yeah, yeah. completely off, off, you know, kilter in that regard. Yeah. Because again, what they're doing could be completely different to anything that's been considered in your industry. And that one spark could give you that extra kind of one, five, 10% to bring back to your own company. If I work for Baskin Robbins and I go and get a mentor at Hungry Jacks, it becomes a comparison between what we're doing and, and you know, and they're relevant, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, 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 but it, it's only ever a comparison or how can I improve some of my existing systems. That the true yeah. innovation, that it's got to come from outside. It has to come from outside. Would you be able to share finally like uh, one life or career lesson with the listeners? Play the long game. I think, I think if I'd given up after the early hits, I would. I'd be kicking myself right now. Mm. I think we, as a human race, are far more resilient than we'll ever ever give ourselves credit for. Personally, I'm now toward building an anti-fragile mindset. I think mm. that's a whole another po- podcast. Okay, but that's good. We can do play, a part two. <laughs> play the long game. Know and believe in yourself because if you're not right, no one else can be a better version of, of what you're thinking. Around this kind of long game idea, Ben, um, is, there, is there anything, I know we're, 
we're running towards the end, but just on the anti-fragile mindset you mentioned, just very quickly, is there is there anything you'd recommend there just to be a little bit more resilient or uh, to, to really develop that? Absolutely. I think the anti-fragile mindset basically means that any hit you take actually builds you up. Okay. You know, so, sometimes you can take a hit and go, oh, that's right, I'm not good enough. Or, But if, if you actually take that hit and it builds another hurdle, if you stack the hurdles on top of each other, it builds you up. Okay. And, and I think if you look for opportunities to be wrong so that you can learn from it and become right, then I think that's a much more powerful way to live your life and, yeah. and to run your business. Okay. Um, so it's, it's actually not being scared to make a mistake or do something true. wrong. It's actually knowing that if you do do that, that's part of life, that's part of business, and you're going to learn tons more from going through that experience than, than getting everything right all the time or playing it safe. And I've got, I've got um, 13-year-old twin girls, and they learn more... Uh, if they get 90% on a maths quiz, they learn more from the 10% they get wrong than the 90% they get right. Mm-hmm. That's anti-fragile. Yeah. That's, that's all it is. Yeah. Find what you're not doing well or where you feel like you're being you know, targeted or being pulled down and use that as your, as, as your mountain to climb. Mm. And, uh, and I think then you have that mindset to, that it's okay to fail. Ben, I've really enjoyed talking to you today. I know you said uh, you weren't sure about the wisdom, but I've certainly got a ton of value out of it. How can people get in touch with you if they want to find out more? Uh, I think just find me on LinkedIn like um, like every another billion other people in the world. Um, yeah. Just you know, let me know that they heard me chatting to you and uh, we'll take it from there. I'd love to, I'd love to have a chat. Uh, ben, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I've really enjoyed it. And, um, I know the listeners will get a ton of value out of this and, and look forward to talking to you again soon. Danny, thank you. And, and let me just say what you're doing, it's a gift to the world. I think that... Um, you know, starting a podcast uh, from scratch and what you've, you know, you've achieved already is a testament to you and who you are. So congratulations and, and thank you so much for letting me be a small part of it. You made it to the end of another episode of Digital Transformation and Leadership. If you're enjoying the show, please do leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. No need to leave a written review. Just clicking on the five stars is enough. It really does help the podcast get found And I'd really appreciate it if you could do that. And we'll be back again next week when we will again go behind the scenes with another top business leader to understand how they're digitally transforming their company. The Digital Transformation and Leadership Podcast is a Blue Aurora Media Production.